Good morning. Can you hear me? Oh, <clears throat> this is like the worst time to get sick is like on Saturday night because um, nobody knows what I'm talking about, so I can't pass it on to anybody. But I'm wearing a jacket because I'm feeling kind of, you know, cold. So don't touch me. I don't want you to get sick. After this is over, I'm just going to hop in the car and leave so that nobody else gets sick. <laughs> but I'm feeling fine. It's just my voice makes me sound like I'm not doing fine. But yeah. Anyways, welcome. My name is Kotz. This is not who I really am, usually. I, I have a much more pleasant voice, usually. A sexier voice. This is not me. <laughs> Anyways, we're closing up the series today called Emerge. Emerge is a series about the book of Luke. Where we started from chapter 3, and we're ending in chapter 5. And today, we're talking about the very last section in chapter 5. Um, we call this Emerge because this is the part of the Bible where Jesus kind of comes from his private life into his public life. And the things that he starts talking about are just groundbreaking. But before he starts his whole ministry, his whole, you know, the, the, the thing that he does that he's known for, he first starts collecting people called disciples. He wants to have a team. Now, so far, what we've discovered is Jesus is collecting so many people into his team, but the type of people that he's putting on his team are the strange kind of people, the people that you wouldn't expect to put on the team of a movement that's going to change the world. So, um, you know, we have this image of Jesus that's like, hey, you know, if you want to get to know Jesus, come all. Everybody's welcome. Everybody could be a part of this movement. You know, but every once in a while, we find these stories where Jesus actually pushed back, pushes back on people who are like, yeah, I'm interested in being part of your thing. And Jesus is like, uh-uh, no, 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 no. And to me, it's like, why would he do that? Why would he do that? And so that actually puts me in a really awkward position because every once in a while, I have to ask myself some questions like, well, if God is choosing certain people but not other people, I wonder which side I'm on. And maybe that's a question we should all be asking. Are we on God's team or are we not? Are, do, I, do we qualify? And if so, what are the prerequisites? Like, what do we have to do to be a part of God's team? And so the question I want to bring up today is this. <clears throat> Would Jesus have asked you to follow him? If Jesus walked into this room, would he come to you and say, come follow me? Or would he come pass you by and say, yeah, I'll talk to you later, but right now you're not ready to follow me? Because we love to teach a story, a gospel of the invitations open to everybody. But every once in a while, we find these strange stories where Jesus is kind of like, yeah, I don't think you're ready to follow me. And so I'm wondering, like, do I qualify? Because when I look at the story, first we see people like Peter, John, and James. These are fishermen that flunked discipleship school. These people don't qualify to be a disciple of any rabbi, any leader, but for some reason, Jesus says, you're perfectly qualified for my movement. It's like, okay, so the fishermen who deflunked out of school, they qualify, and the next person he calls is a guy named Levi, who is a tax collector, which we talked about last week. He is a person that is hated by everybody in town, and it's not just the town that people hate. The, the people in town that hate him. It's basically everybody in that country, that nation called Israel, they all look at tax collectors and say, no, we don't want anything to do with them. And he qualified for Jesus' movement. But then we have these super religious people. When Jesus talks to them, they act, Jesus acts like, no, I don't want you to be part of my movement because I don't think you'll understand how this whole thing works. So I'm like, well, where do I stand? I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm a religious person, I guess, right? So do I qualify? Or am I on this side where I, you know, where maybe Jesus likes flunkies? I, I don't know, right? So w- what's the deal here? So I want to explore this question. Would Jesus have asked me to follow him? And the question I want to ask you is, would Jesus have asked you to follow him? 
So we're looking at the last part of chapter 5 of Luke. We're going to start from verse 33. Uh, let me just set up the scene. Jesus just went to a tax collector named Levi and said, I want you to come follow me. Okay, and so he's like, now, he's like, okay, you're, great. And so now Levi at this point is like, now, before I say goodbye to my friends, I want to throw a little party. So he has a tax collector party. And that's where, like, all these people who are hated by society gather, you know, and they're drinking and they're talking and they're playing, probably playing music, you know. They didn't have a stereo system, so I don't know how they did that, but they probably did that too, right? So <clears throat> it's in that scene that some religious people show up and they start questioning Jesus' disciples. Why are you hanging out with these guys? Now, if you look at your Bible, you don't have to turn there because some of you don't bring your Bibles. <laughs> in Luke chapter 5, about the end of, like, the early 30s, like 31, 32, verse 31, 32, you'll discover that these religious people start asking questions to the disciples. And the response to these questions the disciples don't answer, it's actually Jesus who steps in and says, okay, I'll answer this question. And that's where we pick up from today. So verse 33, let's take a look. Are you guys okay with my voice? Is it bothering you? You're good? Okay, thank you. You could laugh about it later, but right now it's not funny. Okay. They said to him, so they, the religious people, said to Jesus, John's disciples often fast and pray. So, Jesus, so there's a really popular guy named John, John the Baptist, and he has a set of followers. And it's like, I've noticed that John's ba- John, John the Baptist, his people who follow him, his disciples, they like to fast and pray, okay? And so did the disciples of the Pharisees, the super religious people of the time. But yours goes on eating and drinking, right? So he says, I've noticed that you guys don't really do the things that the other people do. Now, if you notice, this isn't a question. There's no question mark, but they're actually implying a question here. And there's actually two questions that they're actually asking. Number one, the first question is actually at the surface level. It's pretty obvious. The question is, why aren't your disciples fasting and praying like everybody else's disciples are? Okay, that's an obvious question. But there is another um, implied question. We'll get to that. So the first question that he asks is this. Why aren't your disciples fasting? Right? Why aren't they doing the stuff that the other people are? Now, let me just kind of give you a context to this. In those days, fasting was only required to be done once a year on the Day of Atonement. This is not the Day of Atonement, so they don't have to fast this day. But by the time this story takes place, people realize, well, fasting is an act of showing how serious we are to God, right? God wants to know how serious we are. Well, look at me, I'm fasting, right? So by the time this story takes place, people started fasting twice a week, Monday and Thursday. And so they're like, look, look, look at that, like John's disciples, they just, they, they fast like once a week. Well, look at the Pharisees' disciples, they fast twice a week. Look how holy they are. <sighs> that's the setting that's happening, Okay. And so the question is, why aren't your disciples serious about the things of God? You see, I knew there was the problem with you selecting these flunkies. I, I don't know why you picked these guys, because they're not doing the things that religious people are supposed to be doing. I don't think they qualify for this movement that you're starting, Jesus. But you see, there's a secondary question that's more un- under implied, which is this. Why did you choose these losers? There's these people who went to discipleship school. They wanted to become a rabbi. They wanted to become one of the most respected people in society, right? And, and, and in that setting, right, Jesus could have picked up anybody that was just graduating from this, this religious school. Instead, he picks these people who are not religious at all. And the question is, why did you pick them? There's plenty of people over here they could have picked from. Why? Again, why did Jesus say, come follow me to these people, but not these people? Why? Well, like I said, there's two questions, right? So the first question, Jesus answers, First, this is how he answers. Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? 
So he says, do you understand the whole reason behind fasting? The whole idea behind fasting is this, okay? When you fast, you're demonstrating to the people around you that you are serious about the things of God, right? That you believe in the kingdom of God that's supposed to come here. Well, guess what? Look at all those tax collectors, the people who just were hated by society. They're eating and drinking, and they're taking a step towards the right direction. I would say that the kingdom of God has come, and so there's no reason to fast because we're actually celebrating some good things that are happening here. So, like, I don't know why you guys are talking about why my disciples should be fasting. They should be celebrating. As a matter of fact, you religious people should jump right in there and celebrate with them and do the little dance that they're doing. Like, you should join them. And they're like, we would never. We're religious people. We would never associate ourselves with these, with these tax collectors. We, we would never do that, right? And then Jesus kind of throws in this little foreshadowing. Here it goes. But the time will come when the bridegroom, that's he talking about himself, Jesus, will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. He's like, yeah, it, later on in this story, they're going to take me away. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die on the cross. And during that time, they'll probably fast because that's when, you know, that will be the appropriate time to fast. But right now, they don't need to fast. They're actually doing exactly what they're supposed to do. They're celebrating. They're having a party. Okay, and guess what? Like the angels in heaven, they're also having a party right now because look at these people repenting. Look at these people taking one step in the right direction. So I don't know what you're talking about. So he answers the first question pretty clearly. He's like, why aren't our disciples fasting? Well, here's the reason. Boom, okay? And then he goes and says, I want to answer the second question, the second implied question, which is, why did you pick these losers? Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of the day today because this is really important. Okay, so let's, let's next, next read. Okay. He told this parable, no one tears a piece out of new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. My voice is coming back. Can you guys hear that? Okay, this is great. <laughs> Praise Jesus. Okay, okay, so... <clears throat> Oh, did I lose it? Okay, no, that's good. Okay. Um, so, if, okay, now, Jesus is answering a question. He's answering the question of, of why did you pick these people who are not qualified to be disciples? And so he starts off by talking about garments. So I'm like, well, what does this have to do with anything? So let's, I, I animated it for you so you understand what he's talking about. Next slide. So let's just say this is a garment. This is a piece of clothes, that, that, you know, like a shirt, right? And if, as you can see, they're striped shirts, right? Is, is it striped? Yeah, it's striped. Okay, next slide. Okay, so what happens is a, there's a piece of tear on this in this garment, right? So the question is, well, what do you do about it? Next slide. So you bring in this another piece of garment or cloth or whatever, right? Next slide. And what you do is you cut out a little square and you go and patch it up. And you're like, this is fashion faux pas. Like, you're not supposed to mix plaid with, with stripe, right? That's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, <clears throat> when you do this, you're not just ruining the shirt that was torn. You just made it worse but you also ruin the very cloth that you cut the square out of, okay? And so you're like, well, what does this mean? This is like, I have to interpret this somehow. Well, look at it this way. On the right over here, that's the new, the new piece of cloth. That's a new teaching. Over here, you have an old shirt, right? And he's saying, old teachings should not be patched up by new teachings. And you're like, I don't understand what you're talking about, Jesus. Man, you're just blowing my mind. What are you talking about? So Jesus kind of clarifies more in the next illustration. So there's two illustrations. This one we're going to spend more time on. Take a look at this. And no one pours new wine into old wineskin. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. Okay, so you're like, okay, I really don't understand this now. So again, here's another animation that you might help, might help you. Okay, because the first time I read this, I'm like, 
Wineskin? What is a wineskin? I've never made wine before, so I don't know how this works. Now I do, but okay. So wineskin is basically, as like the word implies, was made out of skin. Not human skin, but you know, animal skin. And that would be gross. And then, <clears throat> and it's about that size. And then you start pouring grape juice into it. Next slide. So when you do that, um, <clears throat> you fill it to the very top. And when you're done with it, you put a little cap on it or you tie it up so they make sure there's nothing with that leaves it. And the, the, the grape juice inside starts to ferment and starts emitting gas. Next slide. And it starts to expand. <clears throat> it gets really, 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 really big. Now, the content that's inside the wineskin is the thing that actually shapes the wineskin itself. Does it make sense? Okay, now, eventually, when you're like, hey, look, it's fermented, we have good wine, you pour it out, and you just, you know, everybody drinks it, and now it's empty again. What Jesus is saying here is, when that happens, you don't pour in new grape juice into this thing. Next slide. <clears throat> if you were to pour it in, right, and you put the cap on it, and then it starts to ferment again, well, the the thing is so big that it's just going to pop, right? Like, so he's like, you don't put new wine into old wine, uh, into old wine skin because it's already taken its shape, right? You don't want to do that because new wine goes into new wine skin because it has room to expand, right? But once it's expanded, you can't expand it anymore. So what is Jesus trying to say here? Well, let's finish this parable. He says this, no, new wine skin must be poured into new wine skin. So he's saying, this is pretty obvious. You guys have made wine before. When you do this, you, may, you have to make sure that you do it the right way. Now, I want to take a quick time out here and kind of catch you up as to what, how, what this really means. Because for years, and I do mean like years, like decades, people interpreted this as, and this is going to kind of, if, if you're new to church, you're not going to know what I'm talking about, but I'll explain in a second. For years, people thought that what this was referring to was this thing called the Old Covenant versus New Covenant. What that means is this, okay? There's this old Jewish way of doing things, right? right? Like there's the laws, there's the Old Testament and stuff like that, right? This is how you should live your life, by following these rules. Okay, that's the Old Covenant. And then Jesus is saying, I'm here to start this new thing called Christianity, called the church, right? And what I'm trying to tell you is the church and Judaism, they don't mix together. If you're Jewish and you're stuck in your Jewish ways, this new thing is just going to burst you open. So it doesn't really match. So this, in theological circles, is called the incompatibility theory. Incompatibility theory. Basically saying, Jesus is saying, I'm about to start something new and it's totally not compatible with what's happening right now. Now the problem with this, okay, is that this is the only part of scripture that talks about that and everything else seems to contradict it. For example, later on in the New Testament, and this is like for you Bible nerds, Later on in the New Testament, a guy named Paul, who was like a, a Jewish person who became a Christian, he was the first Christian leader, he writes in, in the book of Galatians, he basically says this, he says, <clears throat> do you think Jesus came here to destroy the Old Testament, destroy the law, destroy Judaism? It's like, no, he came here to fulfill it. He loves the old stuff, right? So everywhere else in the Bible, it says that Jesus wasn't here to destroy the old way of doing things. So what is this really talking about? As a matter of fact, here's a quote from a scholar, his name is Alistair Key. He says this, to attribute the idea of incompatibility, the theory, to Jesus as a way of describing his relationship to Judaism is bad theology and bad history. And what's weird is that this has been taught for years and years, and about 1970s to 1980s, scholars started getting together saying, maybe this isn't what Jesus is really trying to say, and now it's more understood that this isn't what Jesus was saying. Okay, that was the nerding out part. Okay. So the question is, what did Jesus mean when he was talking about the wine and the wineskin? He wasn't talking about Judaism. What was he talking about? He wasn't talking about the Old Testament. What was he talking about, right? Well, it turns out the best way to interpret scripture is to find out how people interpret scriptures when it was actually written. I mean, that's 
of course, right? So people did a lot of research and people looked into this stuff and what they discovered, okay, is that about 2,000 years ago, when people talked about wine and wineskin or whatever wine goes into, that it was actually referring to very specific things. So I want you to take a look at this. This is a quote from another, he's like a pastor scholar. He says, and Perkei Avot, which is like a Jewish writing, uh, it's, a, it's a collection of wisdom writings from the days of Moses all the way to today. So there's a lot of stuff in there. <clears throat> the vessels for containing wine are not institutions, religious movements, or teachings. So he's like, when you start thinking that the wineskin represents Judaism, like a system, or like a philosophy, or a religion, or whatever, he's like, the wineskin in ancient writings never ever represented institutions. So let's get your mind out of that, right? He says, the vessel containing the wine are individuals, they're people like you and me. So when Jesus is talking about wineskin, he's talking about people like you and me, okay? The wine is the teaching that the individual consumes or contains. So if I'm learning stuff from you, I could probably say, you are pouring in some really nice wine into this wineskin. That's basically, so does that make sense? Like, that's the kind of thing that they're trying to say here. So what is Jesus trying to say? So there's a new interpretation of of Luke chapter 5, and I want you to take a look, because this will probably make more sense to you. It goes like this. No one takes a lesson meant for a new student and tries to teach it to an old, already educated student. If he does, he will fail to teach the new student, and the lesson meant for the new student will be rejected by the old student like oh so much clearer (laughs) what he's saying is if you have some new teachings it is going to be extremely hard to teach somebody that's been training the old ways it's going to be hard for them to understand what i'm about to say next next part no one teaches new interpretations to old previously educated students if he does the new teachings will be rejected and the student will be lost instead new teachings must be taught to new students this is what (laughs) This is what I'm talking about. And maybe if I explain it in different ways, you might understand it. I do a lot of shopping on Amazon.com. My parents come from a generation where they're like, you buy things on the internet? It's like, yeah, mom, this is how we all do it now. Yeah, but does that mean you're giving your credit card information to a company? It's like, yeah, that's how we do it. It's like, well, what if, h- how do you get it? It's like, well, they deliver it to you. It's like, yeah, well, h- h- how does that work? It was like, well, um, you just wait at home and the package comes to you and, and it's, they're on your front door. It's like, what if somebody takes it? It's like, well, actually, that's been a problem lately, but, you know, <laughs> um, but that's just how things work. And they're like, wait, I don't understand this. Like, huh? So my, my parents are set in this one mind frame. They're like, I don't believe that shopping needs to take, all, take place online. I have to go and actually touch the clothes that I buy. I have to make sure that, you know, like the experience of going to the music store and picking up an 8-track or whatever they used to use back then, right? They're like, and, like, there's, like, the smell that you smell of, like, new cassette tape or whatever. I don't know, right? <clears throat> They're like, that's what you call shopping, cuts. They're like, no, 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 shopping is when you click on something and say, yeah, I want that song. You know, and so, like, they can't get out of that old mindset. And so when I come to them and teach them, hey, mom, dad, this is how you do shopping now, they're like, no, 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 just, just, just shut your mouth because I don't want to hear this heresy anymore. That, that's what Jesus is talking about. Okay, so some of you old and young people understand. Some of you are like, yeah new technology and other of you are like yeah a track but you know like it's like this division right or like i was talking to my wife yesterday about this and she's a teacher and she was like you know Kat, this reminds me of this math like there's a new way of doing math now like the way that i was brought up she calls it the algorithm math and now they're teaching kids this thing called conceptual math and she, and the older people are like math is math what, what, do you, what do you mean there's a different way to do math one plus one has always been two and then the people over here are like 
no, but there's this conceptual way of doing it, and you know, <laughs> and that's, it makes kids smarter, and makes them figure out, they know how to problem solve better, it's like, but, but math is, you know, right, and you just can't understand, sometimes it becomes incompatible, this is what Jesus is saying to these people, he's saying, you expect my people to fast, you're expecting my people to do the things that everybody else is doing, well, guess what, there's a new thing that's happening right now, and this new thing that's happening right now, well, you're not going to understand it because I'm about to pour in some amazing wine, this new news, this new good news that I'm going to pour into these people. And these people who are untrained, these people, this fisherman that was a flunky, and there's this Levi who has been a, uh, who, who was outcast of society. I'm about to pour some amazing knowledge into these guys. And because they've never had wine inside of them, they're going to, they're going to let the wine that I pour into them start giving them a shape. But you guys over here, you already had wine inside of you. You're already shaped by the old teachings. And when I pour that into you, you are not going to like it. You are going to push back on it. So why did Jesus pick these people over these people? Well, Jesus kind of completes his thought by saying this. Verse 39, And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. The eight-track is better, Cots. Come on. Vinyl is always better than digital. Come on. Shopping with your hands and actually driving to the place is better. Come on, Cots. Algorithmic math is better than conceptual math. Come on, right? These people, right, are saying the old is always better because that's how it's always been done. But the question is this. Why do they say that the old is always better? Why do they say that? Well, this is why. It's because these people were brought up in a system. Right, so if I was a man that was like you know, 2,000 years ago, I was a little boy, and I went to the synagogue every day, and I was being taught these scriptures, and I was told to memorize as much verses as possible, right, eventually I'm going to get to the point where they're like, Cost, do you want to continue your education, or do you want to go back home and take on your parents' trade, their, their job? And they will look at you and say, well, you're not good at following instructions. You're not good at memorizing scripture, so why don't you go home and continue your father's trade? That's what happened to Peter. They're like, hey, you're not good enough to be on this track to becoming a, a student, so why don't you go back and become a fisherman? That's, what he, that's exactly what he did. But here, if I did well, I'm going to move on to the next stage, and I'm going to do well, and I'm going to go to the next stage, and eventually I'm going to be this respected rabbi in my, in my community, right? And so for me to be a religious leader in this community, I love this system. Why? Because it worked for me. But let me rewind this story. What if I was a woman? who got married at the age of 14, which was common back then. But then my husband died. And in that culture, your, your status in society came from men. So what do you do? Well, you better pray that you have a son because your son, when he grows up, he could take care of you. But if you don't have a son, so let's just say you're a woman whose husband passed away or left you and you don't have any kids. At that point, you have no way of making a living. So what do you do? You look around looking for a job, and you, only, you realize the only people who will hire you will be the pagan temple down the street who say, if you want to make money, you can prostitute your body. And so because they're hungry, what do they do? They do stuff that they don't want to do, and now they're even more shunned out of society. It's like, do you want to be shunned by society, or do you want to eat, right? And that's the choice they have to make. And for people like her, this system didn't work for her. You see, the people who are upholding the system, this system that Jesus is trying to, you know, say, like, okay, we got to change everything. The people who are questioning Jesus, like, why are you picking these losers as your disciples? He's basically saying, the reason why I'm doing this is because 
The people who want to uphold the system are the people who are actually benefiting from it. But do you realize the majority of people are actually suffering because of the system? So I'm about to teach some new things into these people, and I can't teach it to you because you're going to push back because this truth I'm about to teach you is super inconvenient for you. I'm going to tell you some things that's going to make you say, well, if you got rid of that, then there goes my paycheck. Right? So he's like, I'm looking for people who are willing to do the right things, even if it inconveniences them. So why did Jesus pick these people and not those people? This is why. Next slide. Jesus approached regular people over religious people because they were more teachable. They were willing to accept the teachings of Jesus. Jesus was trying to teach them something that was never been taught before. Or maybe it should have been taught before, but they never talked about it because, well, the people who were teaching it were the people who were actually benefiting from this broken system. But he's not just talking about teachability here. It's not like, I'm going to teach you something, and if you don't understand what I'm saying, that you're unteachable. That's not the kind of unteachability he's talking about here. He's talking about people who will be inconvenienced by the truth that Jesus is about to teach. Okay, so take a look at this. Okay, next, next screen. It is difficult to condemn a system that you benefit from, right? So, like I said, the Pharisees, they got their paycheck, right, and their status in society, because they happened to be people who were smart enough to memorize things. There were people who happened to follow the right people, made the right decisions in life, and they happened to be the right race and the right gender. And so for you to say, I'm going to change that system, is basically these people saying, if I change the system, I might have to do the job that everybody else is doing. Like that people, those people over there, they work all day, they sweat really, really uh, like a lot, and they have barely enough to feed their family. I don't have to do half the stuff they're doing, and I'm living just comfortably. And the question is, do I teach the truth? Because if I do, then I'm, I'm talking myself out of a job. And I'll give you an example. So I talked about this a few, maybe a few years ago, this whole idea of tithing. Okay, I'm about to talk myself out of a job right now. Unless you have a lot of compassion, then I still have a job. Okay. <clears throat> okay, the whole idea of a tithe. Now, this is a conversation I had when I was in school, the seminary, when I was studying Bible stuff. And the thing, idea of tithing, okay, it's introduced in the Old Testament. The Bible is comprised of Old and New Testament, right? And the teachings of the Old Testament talks about how we need to give a tenth of what we have to God. So if you had ten pieces of, I don't know, plants, you give one to God and keep the nine, right? But the idea of a tithe in the New Testament doesn't exist. So some of you are like, wait a minute, I don't have to give to the church? I was giving 10% of my paycheck every month, right? Is God telling me that I don't have to do that anymore? It's like, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is this. In the, old, in the New Testament, the theology changes. The idea of a tithe doesn't exist in the New Testament. In the New Testament, in the Old Testament, 10% belonged to God. One out of 10 things belong to God. In the New Testament, all of you, everything inside of you, everything that you are belongs to God. Now, it's up to you and God to decide how much of that you want to give away. That's a healthier theology of giving. But the problem is this. If I could keep saying 10%, 10%, 10%, 10%, I could ensure you that the church doors will be open for the next few years, and I could make sure that I could get paid and send my kids to college in a few years, right? But for me to stand here and say, I have to teach you the truth, it inconveniences me, and it puts this church at risk, but I'm going to tell you this, you don't have to give 10%. It's up to you. Everything that you have belongs to God, and it's up to you between you and God to decide how much of that you want to give to the church. You see, the conversation I was having in seminary was, can we really get ourselves to preach this message? 
it inconveniences us. It shuts down the system that we're benefiting from. And so there's half the class that are like, no, we've got to keep teaching this because the church is so important in society. And the other half of the class are like, yeah, but we're, we're, we're given this task of teaching the truth that the Bible teaches. What, what do we do? And we're like, well, the professor would say, that's a battle that you have to figure out. You have to fight it out on your own and decide what, which path you want to take. You see, what I'm saying here is sometimes the teachings of Jesus inconveniences me. And there's two types of people. People who are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I don't want to hear that because it inconveniences me. That was the Pharisees. That was the religious people. They're like, we don't want to listen to what you have to say because it bursts my wineskin when I hear stuff like that. But there's people over here who are not beneficiaries of, of this system. And they're like, we're all ears, Jesus, because we suffer. We're victims. We want to hear everything you have to say about this, obviously, right? But this is why Jesus picked these people over that people, because he knew that these people will listen and actually act out the inconveniences of society that these people were not willing to do. So this, this is what I want you to get. Jesus <clears throat> wants disciples who are teachable regardless of the inconveniences. Has Jesus been teaching you certain things lately that inconveniences you? And you're like, la, 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 I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. <laughs> like, you mean being a follower of Jesus requires me to do what? No, 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 no. I was relying on that. There's a certain sin in your life, and you're like, Jesus told me to stop doing that, but it brings me so much pleasure to do this thing. I, it's, what? Oh, I'm not going to hear what Jesus is saying. So what can inconveniences you from a system you're already benefiting from? Is it a, a certain sin? Are you taking advantage of somebody you're not supposed to? Maybe you're bullying somebody, and it brings you the sense of empowerment. But he's like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not how we do it. People who follow me are not going to do that. Maybe you're in this habit of basically getting into arguments about how great Jesus is, and you always get into these battles of words, like, oh, yeah, well, my God is better. <laughs> Buddhism? More like Buddhism. You're like, you're like, you go back and forth, and you're like, really? Jesus is like, really? Is that how you're going to talk about, like, how great I am? Right? Like, I'm sorry. If, if it brings you some kind of, like, feeling of superiority for having debates about God, then he's like, please stop doing that. You know, but he's like, but I've been benefiting so much from it, you know? What is the thing that inconveniences you about Jesus? And the people who are willing to listen to these things that inconveniences you and do something about it, those are the people that God would say, come follow me. So the question I'm going to ask again, the first question I ask and bring up again, would Jesus have asked you to follow him? Are you the kind of person that tries to ignore the things that inconveniences you? Or are you the kind of person that says, no matter how much it pushes me and inconveniences me, and it might make me lose my paycheck, it might make me, you know, but if that's the cost of loving my neighbor, then I'm willing to take that step of faith. And those are the people that Jesus would say, come follow me. Now, does this mean that Jesus has an open invitation except for a few people? No. His invitation is open to everybody. But there's some people who choose to throw that invitation card away and say, no, I never got your invitation, Jesus, because, yeah, I don't want to be a part of that. So the question again is, would Jesus have asked you to follow him? How open are you to be inconvenienced by God? Because that is the thing that's going to change the way we look at this whole thing called Christianity. God is desperate, and he's been pouring in this new wine into you. Does it burst you? Does, does, does it inconvenience you? Or does it actually shape you? And that's what Jesus is saying in this parable. 
So where, where do you stand with God? Where do you stand in this thing where God is trying to change you, but you're like reluctant, you know, right? Where do you stand on that? And that, that right there is the attitude that we need to have towards following Jesus because if we are in this thing called Christianity and we're full of pride, we're not gonna change. That, burst, that, that, that thing is gonna burst us. It's gonna break us. But the good news is this. If following Jesus eventually breaks you, he doesn't leave you broken. He actually wants to rebuild you and make you into this new wineskin so that he could fill you up and, and fill you and, and shape you again. And there's that rep- repetition of that over and over and over again. My prayer here is that we all become the type of people where Jesus would say, come follow me, and we say yes. Amen? Amen. All right, let me pray for us.